Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's hard-hitting Axis Arrows. Learn more about Easton's cutting-edge and fused carbon arrow technology today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, editor Christian Berg. Welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. I'm your host, editor Christian Berg. And as always, we're glad that you've taken some time out of your day to uh, listen to some great bow hunting information and celebrate the sport that uh, we're all so passionate about. Today, as we uh, just come through the Thanksgiving season and look ahead to Christmas and uh, late season hunting, I thought this would be a great time to uh, tackle the topic of late season whitetails. And I've asked one of our uh, expert hunters that we've got on our field staff, Adventures Editor Patrick Mateen, to join me today and offer some of his insights about late season whitetails. Patrick, thanks for taking some time. I appreciate you being with me today. Oh, well, good to be here. I um, see recently you had your own whitetail success. I'm still hunting here, so end of the season now. Yeah, I... Uh... I tagged a really nice buck out in Illinois during the peak of the rut. I killed that deer on November 9th, and uh, you're out in Idaho, and uh, here as we're coming up on Thanksgiving, you're already dealing with late season conditions. Even though the rut is still going strong, you've got driving snow, and I understand it was really piling up on you this morning out in the tree. Yeah, I... Actually, would probably uh, miss seeing a nice buck this morning because I was running a little late because I had to get rid of all the snow on the truck and drive a little slower. And when I got there, I usually get in about half an hour before daylight, and I got there oh, a little after daylight, and my scrapes were recently tore up, so I missed the boat there. But um, oh well, that's the way it goes. Almost bagged a buck with the truck on the way in. <laughs> yeah, it seems like. Did not look good at it. Seems like you often see a a good deer, excuse me, a good deer or two on the way to the tree, and uh, man, you just wish you could get them to pose under you instead of seeing them on your way or on your way back in for lunch. So, so let's talk about yeah, late. Kinda... Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, uh, let's talk a little bit about late season whitetails. Uh, for those, I'm sure that you're going to have your buck tagged here within the next few days before the rut peters out. But in the very unlikely event that you find yourself with a tag still in your pocket come uh, Christmas time, uh, how are you going to change your strategies? Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing right now, Patrick, at the peak of the rut, the stand setups that you've got, the places that you're looking for deer, finding deer, targeting deer, and how is that changing now as we get say three weeks further down the road and the deer start to change their behaviors and how are you going to go after them uh, during that time? Well, Idaho is probably a tad bit different because our deer migrate out of the mountains because of the accumulating snow, but some of the same principles apply. Basically, you're looking at bucks who have run themselves ragged during the rut. Um, A lot of deer don't make it through the winter because of the rut. And so basically, they're looking to recharge. They need they need to eat. If they don't eat, they're not making it through the winter. So um, 
Well, what happens here is normally this, uh, during the rut, we're hunting up in the high country, up in the mountains and ridges. And usually by late season, those deer have been pushed out and are going to be out on those agricultural fields down in the lower country where uh, the biggest bucks during the um, general season normally don't show up down there because of the rifle hunting pressure. And during those late seasons, those bucks will come out on those fields, which here is garbanzo beans and wheat and and, um, barley and oats, stuff like that. And... You know, my experience in places like Nebraska, where I used to hunt the white season nearly every year, is the same thing. They are on the food. And because of the rifle hunting pressure is slacked off, and you can see them almost, almost any time of day, though, because they do have that fresh memory of the rifle pressure. They usually, you know, stick to the early and late routine, but... Um, they, so, they get a little more brazen, that's for sure. They're hungry. They got, you know. So tell me a little bit right now. I mean, you talk about hunting them up in the mountains right now. How far are you going, you know, up in elevation? What kind of elevations are you hunting your Idaho whitetails right now? And uh, how does that compare to where you'd target them during the late season? Well, right now, my house sits right in the cusp between the farmland and the and the woodland so i'm at about 3500 foot and where i'm hunting right now during the rut is is up all oh, about 4500 about a thousand foot higher maybe a tad bit more and you know involves 20 30 minute um, four-wheeler rides to get up there and whereas here in another couple of weeks after the rut peters out um they'll be down below the house um i'll down to all, all the way down to 1,500 foot sometimes, depending on how much snow we get. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just, here, it's just a matter of they cannot physically stay in that high country. They'll get five or six foot of snow up there. They just can't, they can't survive. Right. But um, also, the, the huge contributing factor also is all the farms here are down in that lower country, down in the flats. So um, where the food is, that's where you will find the deer. So how do you go about trying to target uh, a buck during that late season? Do you, you know, you talk about the proximity of the, the farms and the fields. Do you typically just go to a vantage point in those areas and try to start out with some long-distance scouting to try and figure out where some concentrations of deer are, are entering and exiting those fields and then kind of use the terrain and the prevailing well, winds? Usually... Right, What. Well, using Nebraska as an example, because I probably have more late season experience there than anywhere, is there was a, basically a game preserve that was off limits to hunting, and there were farm fields um, and outlaying areas. There was a long strip of, of timber going along a creek, or actually a big river, and those deer would naturally they would funnel back into that. Um, game preserved during the day so um, early mornings they were coming from the corn back to to cover and evenings you know that was reversed so basically just looking for um, although that whole river bottom was kind of a funnel in itself there were definitely points where you know fallen logs or or fence corner or something pinched it even even tighter to where mm-hmm. you could cover the whole thing oh 
And, you know, you just look for places like that. Um, the cool thing about late season in most places is you have snow on the ground, so sign becomes very obvious. Um, you don't have to, you know, nitpick over over little details. The snow just lays it all there. So, um, you know, in the case of you know, the Nebraska area, it was really easy to just hop in some tracks and take off and, and then find a place where more tracks joined and, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so scouting late season's easy. Um, I've even gone so far as to, you know, get a big buck on camera that I've checked early in the morning and, and trail him backwards, find out where he's he's bedding. And um, that allows me to move my stand closer to that bedding area and hopefully pick him up during legal shooting hours, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the other end of his trail, far from foods. So, now, what do you do uh, in areas, Patrick, where the late season food sources aren't quite so obvious? You know, I think about uh, back east here. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of guys that do suburban hunting. I know you've done a little bit of suburban hunting here in the east, and there's no farms per se in the area. These deer may be wandering around neighborhoods, or maybe there's people up, uh, you know, in the big woods of, say, uh, New York State up in the Adirondacks. Again, there's not a lot of agriculture in an area like that. How do you go about trying to narrow down your place to hunt in late season in areas like that where you can't just find the, the, the nearest grain field and start there? Well, yeah, suburbia and big woods, and now those are going to be two different things altogether, but I'd say in suburbia, your limiting factor is going to be cover those, you know, the game preserves that I was talking about earlier. Um, I've hunted places in the outskirts of Omaha where you're hunting five acres in the middle of houses. That was their bedding area. And um, so, again, you know, the the snow, if you have it, makes it easy to backtrack and um, kind of figure out where, where some of those bedding areas are and set up around the outskirts of those. Now, in big woods now, that's much more difficult. Um, food sources aren't quite as obvious. I think in places like that, Adirondacks in particular, you're going to get into more like a yarding situation than a in a um, you know travel patterns between areas, mm-hmm. and um, I think even in I've hunted in the Catskills, I've hunted in the Adirondacks, never late, but um, even early, there's not any concentrated food. It seems to me that you still have those dairy farms and stuff like that, where they're you know going to come out on the edges and maybe dig under some old apple trees in an old homestead for some old apples or something like that. But um, Really, just got to get out and and stop and do a lot of scouting. Look, look for those concentrations of sign that um, points and saddles and ridges and stuff that concentrate movement. And, um, and it sounds like your and again the cameras that you had mentioned earlier too. You're still relying on your scouting cameras throughout the right through the late season. Oh yeah, I'm huge into cameras. I probably. Oh, I had 12 or 13 of them out at any given time, and it just it allows me to just kind of keep track of what's going on. And, you know, we all have those mornings where you have three or four stands set up and you wake up and scratch in your head which one you ought to go sit in. Well, cameras usually make that decision a little bit easier. And you're not always right, of course, but, 
you, you, you think you're putting in your best effort. It gives you more confidence to sit there longer and still. And, and um, so, you know, I do rely on, especially in these big woods here in Idaho where our deer density is so low, without the cameras, I just wouldn't have a lot of confidence to sit some of these spots. I mean, one of the big bucks I killed last year, I sat that stand five times without seeing a single deer. But the camera told me he was coming, so I kept sitting and eventually got him. Now, without the camera, I probably would have become frustrated and went and sat somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Now, now let's talk a little bit about strategies for the actual hunt, okay? If you've located an area where you know there's some deer and you want to go in, the late season presents... You know, you talked about one of the advantages of having snow on the ground and how it makes the deer sign so visible. One of the disadvantages of the late season is that the the woods are so bare. There's very little cover and movement, especially on a still cold winter day. I mean, all you know, it's so easy for you to pick up on movement, but it's so easy for the deer to pick up on movement too. How do you change your sets? when you look at your tree stand setups in the late season to try and kind of minimize uh, your concealment and avoid, you know, being detected in such a barren environment? Uh, well, here we don't have quite that that issue because of, we have a lot of conifers and, and um, cedars, so I set up in those. And I even bury, bury into places where you're in a cave. So... Um, you can, um, you know, you kind of have some cover from the snow and and um, back in the little cave. Now, in the east, man, you just have to get a little higher, I think, get into clusters of trees and, um, you know, stuff like that. Instead of getting in one bare tree, get in where three or four trees are clustered together and so you're standing in the middle of it. You can kind of break up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about... Uh you know, equipment considerations uh, in terms of, let's just talk a little bit just about your bow and your arrow and, you know, your your rig. Um, when it's really, really cold, uh, your bow can get creaky, uh, your muscles can get tired. What kind of special considerations do you put into the way that you set up your, your bow uh, and the way that you shoot in the late season? Any changes for you, uh, you know, when it's really uh, cold? I don't. The modern equipment used to have problems with squeaky rests and stuff like that, and and um, cable slides especially. But I, I don't really see that in, in the modern bows. The one thing that I do, that just as a matter of course, is the colder it gets, usually the more I'll back my poundage off because you know you sit there for three or four hours in the below zero, and your muscles can get pretty stiff. So I mean during you know, early seasons, I'll shoot 70, 75 pounds of normal draw weight. And during late season, I'm all the way down to 60 sometimes, depending on how radical the cams are. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, I had that problem with a buddy just a week ago. He uh, kept getting busted drawing, and, and so I finally said, draw your bow. And he was swinging his arm around to get leverage, and I said, you should be able to put your pin on the deer and pull your strings right back to your anchor. And um, so we had to back his bow off about 10 pounds, and um, he killed a deer a few days later, so it worked out. But it's definitely something to take into consideration. Um, 
pulling pulling poundage when you're warmed up or shooting in your you know garage or your backyard is one thing after you've been sitting up in a cold stand for three hours is another mm-hmm. now <clears throat> another thing that we ought to touch on is the whole issue of staying warm and uh obviously the first thing that comes to mind is is clothing but i know that for you as somebody who does quite a bit of hunting in cold weather because you know there in idaho you're basically already into winter come mid-november and you're probably not out of it until the end of april so you deal with these elements a lot and i know that for you it starts first and foremost probably with your diet and then extends from there to your your clothing and other things that you do to to fight the cold. Yeah, diet is certainly part of it. You know, I know a lot of us in this day and age just get breakfast. I didn't normally do in the summertime. I don't even think about it. But you know, if I'm going to go get on a cold stand, I always make myself eat. Um, you know, bacon and eggs is standard stuff. But um, and then, well, you know, one of the things that I don't think people realize is coffee and and. Um, well, cigarettes, alcohols also, but coffee in particular seems to be kind of a staple with a lot of hunters, and it'll actually make you colder in the long run. It's a diuretic, and it shuts down capillaries. So, um, you know, when you're going to go sit, you're actually better off drinking something like a Gatorade or hot chocolate or something that won't affect your circulatory system. And um, then from there, it's just a matter of layering. Um what I find here is late season tends to be really super still, super quiet. And unfortunately, a lot of this insulating stuff that has, you know, various laminates to block moisture and wind and stuff like that, when it gets really cold, some of them get kind of noisy. Mm-hmm. And not noisy per se, but too noisy for 15, 20 yard shots at whitetail on, you know, following, you know, a lot of hunting pressure. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, that's my late season wear tends to, well, my outer layer is normally wool or some sort of fleece that, that I know is not going to make any rustles. Mm-hmm. And, um, what, what are your, I guess what, I have. What are some of your favorite <clears throat> outfits for the late season that you found some products that really work well for you? I guess my two. Oh, well, I guess you could call them my two standard outfits, depending on whether it's cold or really cold. Is One is, and I've changed it up a little bit because I've discovered a few products. I've started using this um, Warmax uh, long underwear from Germany. It's, um, oh, it's got patches of silver-coated wires that are hooked up to a battery. It actually warms your skin on contact mm. um, and keeps and. So I'll put that on, and then I've got some um, Carol Davis sportswear, like a union suit that's really thick polar fleece. I put that on over that. And um, then I put some sort of mid-layers, like I've been using Thickness Calvin this year, and it's, boy, it'll make you sweat on the way in, but once you get up there, you're glad you have it. And then, um, you know, if it's just cold, I put on my Sleeping Indian wool over the top of that. Now, if it's really, really cold, I'm going to pretty much have the same outfit, but I'll have I have a suit of Ravenwear. It's made in Alberta, Canada, and um, it's bulky, but boy, when it gets below zero, it's unbelievable stuff. 
I guess the other big problem for most people are hands and feet. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone has a different tolerance level. You know, it's, um, some people can get away with normal hiking boots with some toe warmers in there. Others, like I'm kind of long and lanky. I need ridiculous boots. I get stuck with 2,000 grams of insulate and stuff like that. So. Oh, I do too, man. My, my, my toes, I, I really haven't found a pair of boots on the face of the earth that can keep my toes warm when it's really, really cold. Although the, uh, you know, the toasty toes, you know, any of the, the, the activated charcoal foot warmers really help and usually buy me at least a few hours before I start to get numb, you know? Yeah, I've actually pulled my boots off in the stand and reapplied them because some of them only last three or four hours, and, and that's kind of being optimistic. Depends on how much your feet sweat on the way in. I think the sweat kills them, but um, and that's another thing. If I'm going to put those on, I usually wait until I'm within 50 yards of the stand and stick those in. Mm. And I always take an extra pair or two. And I even get those, because they usually have adhesive backs, I'll get those and stick them onto my long underwear in my chest area and then cover them up mm-hmm. with layers, trap some heat in there. That's a good poor man's um, warm X suit. <laughs> and then I think the other important thing is keeping your, your fingers functioning in really bad cold. Is, um, yeah, I, I know that you like... You like to shoot fingers a lot, Pat. Do you shoot fingers even in the late season? And if so, how do you keep your hands warm? Yeah, but yeah, that's I shoot you know traditional bows a lot, so you have to use fingers. But um, you know, if I know it's going to be brutally cold, I'll usually shoot a release bow because it makes it easier. But um, you know, when I I've gotten pretty decent at um, shooting even with bulky clothes and stuff, even with my recurves, but. The thing I've done, I've tried everything. I've tried those glove mitts. I've tried, you know, putting on big, huge mittens and pulling them off before I shoot. You know, it's, I just now I just get one of those um, muff packs. Like um, Hunter Safety System makes a good one that I use. It's got pockets and everything to hold your stuff. And um, I just throw a couple of those hand warmers in there, and then I wear the same. You know, thin gloves that I use um, when I'm elk hunting or something. Mm-hmm. Have my tab on or my release on, just sticking my hands in there. When a deer shows up, you just grab your bow and you're ready to roll. Yeah, that's pretty and much uh, what I do too. And it, you know, ninety ninety percent of the time that works great. The only time that you really run into a problem with that is, you know, I've had a few encounters where. You know, you're keeping your hands in there, and and they're nice and toasty. And then you see a deer heading in your general direction, and as they, you know, get a little bit closer, you take your hands out and grab your bow, and you think that this encounter is going to be over in a matter of two or three minutes. But sometimes, you know, 20 minutes later, you're still standing there holding your bow, and by the time you either, you know, get the shot or spook the deer, you know, you feel like your your fingers are just going to about fall off your, your hands. But that being said, I don't know quite what the alternative is because I don't know about you, but I just can't, you know, shoot with a real thick pair of gloves on, you know, or don't want to. So you yeah. got to be willing to suffer. Well, yeah, usually, you do get into those situations where you get pinned down, and, and usually I just stick my 
uh, you know, shooting fingers especially, I just stick my shooting hand back in the muff and hold my bow. You can you can hold the bow with a dead frozen hand, but your fingers have got to be good. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, um, it's pretty easy to stick your hand back in, even when you're sitting waiting for a deer to take one more step or something. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's the main thing on, on you know, getting a good muff. It's looking for something that's quiet and made out of fleece or something. So I don't know what's happened to the industry. We've got all this so-called off-shelf stuff, and it's just not very quiet. It's great in bad weather if you're in Alaska or something, but it's just not very quiet. Well, I think so, that... Uh, manufacturers are listening. <laughs> like you said... Uh, you know, the Cabela's uh, Outfitter Fleece, you know, that Berber, that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I used that on my Alberta hunt last year. and um, Yeah, I've got that I'm using this year, and I'm liking it real well. And like you said, wool is never a bad option either. You know, and like like you said, in today's day and age, there's so many high-tech fabrics and, and a lot of... Uh, you know, marketing that goes into that. And, and that's not to say that that stuff isn't good. You know, I've got a bunch of it and I use it. But when when silence is the key factor, it's still pretty tough to beat, you know, a good thick. Well, some, of, some of those synthetics are set and definitely quiet. You just have to, you know, when you're in the store purchasing something, you know, grab it and twist it around, ruffle it and put it on and draw, you know, act like you're drawing a bow and see if you can hear anything in a store, you know, a deer's going to, so. Yeah. Kind of like, um, cast well, just, you know, wrestle it around. And I'll, I'll tell you one rubbing. thing. I'll tell you one thing, Patrick. I've never, I've never really killed a good buck in the late season. But I consider that, you know, when I see people who do it and do it consistently, I really admire that because to you know to be able to go toe to toe with these animals that first of all you know by the time the regular archery season and all the firearm seasons are run through your overall deer population is thin and then second of all like you said you've got all these animals that have been dealing with that hunting pressure for several months and so the ones that are still around are are on high alert it's a real challenge and a real trophy to to get a good buck in the late season Desperation is kind of what it is because it's if you haven't filled your tag, you know, you keep hunting. I know here, you know, I keep track of stuff on the cameras. I'll have three or four shooter bucks at the beginning of the season. I usually, I haven't gotten my buck by rut. You know, only one of those bucks is going to be left. And then hunting one deer becomes a very huge challenge. So that's uh, definitely part of it. But, uh, yeah, to me, it's either just a way to extend your season if you have enough available tags where you live or it's in a desperation measure because you haven't filled your tag so it's um definitely a challenge like you say huge challenge yeah and if there's and just the element for the for the people who are well. for the people who are listening you know i'm sure that there's a few guys or gals who are listening and 
are going to tag some good late season bucks, make sure to share your stories with us too and send us your trophy photos to uh, bowhunting at imoutdoors.com and uh, we'll get you in the magazine and uh, we wish you all the best of luck out there. It's not easy, but like you said, Patrick, if you're if you're still hungry to fill that tag, it's the only option you have left, and it's either it's either get out there and try or give up, and there's not a whole lot of in between. So, well, that's a relative area. There's some places where late season can be especially good. Um, I wouldn't feel handicapped hunting. Iowa during the late season where they have a lot of corn and soybeans and stuff I would think it would be very productive but um, yeah just it's really relative to where you live and the conditions that, um, that you're facing mm-hmm. well I hope for your sake Patrick that you don't have to worry about the late season this year and you get out and kill a nice buck here like maybe this afternoon would be good it's it's happening right now, that's for sure. It's, um, oh, you know, it's maybe the trail cams have made me greedy. I'm passing up better bucks than I shot last year, so, um, but I've gotten some absolute monsters on camera this year, but, um, uh, I am realistic, realistic enough to know that seeing them on camera and getting them tagged is <laughs> worlds apart, but, I'm kind of going for broke, and there's a couple of them that are worth waiting for. So what's your goal? Tell me a little bit about the you know, the two or three shooters that you've got your heart set on. Well, I've sent trail cams to a bunch of guys that are used to seeing monster bucks, like Linky, for instance. And I've got one buck that's like 180 to 190, depending on who's looking at the photos. And i got another cool-looking non-typical. It's like 165 and one real wide 5x5 five five that's about 160. And um, But then I also have a bunch of 150, 155 bucks. Well, a bunch. I have three or four 150, 155 bucks that if they stand broadside at 25 yards, I'm going to shoot them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's hard to let but those I'm getting walk. Of, yeah, I'm getting a lot of um, like 120 to 130 bucks that I'm I just sat yesterday and had had a buck that probably scores about 130. I've seen him for two years now, and he's calling him Brutus. He's just he has to weigh 300 pounds. He's, he has the biggest body on a whitetail I've ever seen. His antlers aren't aren't up to par with his his body weight. And then I passed another buck last night, a nice um, four by four that you know scores pretty decent, but he's just young, you know. Figure let him let him go if he can survive the rest of rifle season. You know, really get big. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's that's on. Things are happening. I'm not feeling too pressured yet. So. Well, good man. I wish you I wish you the best of luck, and uh, I'm sure you're going to get it done. And uh, we will look forward to reading about your adventure and your success uh, sometime. Uh, in 2012 when you share the story with everybody in Peterson's bow hunting. Thanks a lot for joining me today, Patrick. It, it was a good show. Hopefully, like I said, that the listeners got uh, a few good tips that they can use to better their odds during the late season. And uh, uh, appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. Presented by Easton's Hard Hitting Access Arrows. 
For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.